Welcome back to the Global Tech Leaders Podcast, where today we are joined by Sarah Scudder, the manufacturing maven, the CMO over at SourceDay, a podcast host in her own right. Uh, we are very, very excited to uh, have you join us. And rather than give a long by an intro, I'm going to let you take the stage because we had spent the last 25 minutes in pre-call really discussing your efforts uh, in the podcast arena which are significant to say the very least, but moreover, welcome to the show, Sarah. Thank you so much. Howdy from Austin. I am a new Texan and I have not lived through a Texas summer before. <laughs> so my hair looks crazy all the time. I am learning how to exercise outside in humidity. Sure. But it's uh, it's been a, an, an awesome move and an awesome journey. Uh, becoming a CMO and, and joining the Source Day team last year. So super excited to be here and to uh, sh share my story and talk a little bit about some of my learnings being a, a woman leader in tech. Fantastic. We had a few more Texans on the show, um, um, on specifically on this series, and yeah. they're reporting to us of melted car tires and roads sticking to roads and all those kind of wonderful things the last time we spoke to somebody from tax i think it was a few weeks ago maybe three weeks ago they they were telling us it was like close to 110 degrees or something 106 or something like that yeah it's been in the triple digits i want to say for three months wow. this week we're in the 90s so i feel like it's cool and i actually went out last night and and walked around and exercised before the uh, sun came down so that was a big win well i mean it's it's a funny one because i like john said we we, we speak to uh folks from austin all the time it seems like elon musk and joe rogan have moved out there and everyone seems to be following suit right i mean we didn't speak to anyone from austin until recently and it's it has always been new york boston san francisco bit of los angeles bit of denver but now austin seems to be the, the place to go well what brought you from the Northeast? You know, I, I'm conscious of your academic background in Sonoma State University, et cetera. What brought you to where you are today? And, and really your, your exposure to social media in a massive way is a you know, constituent part of that journey, an impressive one. So tell us a bit about that journey, if you would. Yeah, so I did runway modeling in high school. I am six foot tall without heels and was planning to pursue a career in the fashion industry. I quickly learned that in modeling by the time you're 25 or 30, your career is over. And so I wanted to go more into the business aspect of the industry, was planning to potentially produce fashion shows and then open my own production company. And that is absolutely not how my career shaped and turned out at all. So my senior year in college, I wanted to leave kind of my last stamp or a last hurrah at Sonoma State University. I was a double major in business and economics. I had an emphasis in marketing, a minor in American multicultural studies. There wasn't really anything fashion focused. So I just decided to pursue business and marketing. And I decided to co-chair a big, big fundraising event for my sorority, which was Alpha Gamma Delta. And I had a crazy, crazy workload was involved in just about everything you can be on campus. And I had to source and procure all these things for the event. Most of these were marketing procurement related. So we're talking about things like media, things like swag, apparel. And I 
I didn't even know what procurement was. I had no idea what supply chain was. And so I hired a local company that specialized in sourcing and procuring marketing related things for companies who didn't have the expertise or time or resources in-house. So outsourced that entire thing to them, went super well. After the event, they came to me and said, hey, Sarah, do you wanna come work for us? We are, we want more women in our industry. It was, it's a, they, they said it was almost hundred percent male dominated, did not have a lot of youth and they wanted to start an internship program so they could funnel and get more talent from the local university. Now I'm thinking to myself, I have absolutely no interest in procurement and supply chain. What a snooze fest. I don't want to be a paper pusher that is like completely the other side of fashion. But I took a couple of weeks and did some soul searching. And I realized that I am somebody who would probably not do well in a very, very large corporate environment. I'm kind of spunky. I'm kind of offbeat. I just like people to say, okay, here's what we need done. And I like to do things my own way. I'm much more of a builder and creator than being someone to bring in and maintain something that's already been put in place. So I took the job. I started, I think the week after I graduated. And so I started the first part of my career actually in sales. And because we were a very, very small company, when I say that, you, I really kind of learned and did everything in the business from customer service to accounting to marketing. I, I just kind of did everything. And, and one of the things that I really helped was set the strategy, make us much more of a technology-focused solution um, sales organization versus just selling you know, parts and items. And so I did sales for several years. We sold supply chain software. So I was selling into people in supply chain, in procurement, and in particular, in marketing procurement. It was a marketing procurement related software solution. And when I was doing this, I thought this outbounding process is absolutely crazy. Cold calling, emailing people that don't know who I am, that don't want to hear from me and don't have a need for what we're selling. I said, there has to be a better way. So I decided that I was going to do a trial for 90 days and I was going to figure out where our buyers were going to get their information. I was going to master that one channel and then I was going to produce content every single day for 90 days on that channel. So the first thing I did was go out and scope the market, figure out where were supply chain leaders going to get their information. And at the time, and it's still true today, it was LinkedIn. LinkedIn was by far the main channel that I found that our buyers were going to network, to get information and to learn. So I decided that I was gonna master and learn how to use LinkedIn. And then I started posting content every single day, seven days a week for 90 days and incredible things started to happen. And when I started doing this, I realized that I loved the, the function of demand generation and educating a market at scale. So when our buyers were ready to buy, we were top of mind and they would reach out to us versus the opposite of just randomly contacting people that were not educated and or not ready to buy or not interested. 
And so I decided at that moment that I wanted to pivot my career from sales. Keep in mind, I was one of the top three salespeople in the nation in my industry. And so I was making a lot of money and I kind of had it made. And I said, I'm going to leave all of it and I want to become a marketer. Wow. Why? <laughs> because I loved demand gen. And I think market, good marketers create demand gen engines and demand gen drives growth and drives companies. And it's becoming more and more important now than it ever has before in the history of business. Yeah, th th this is very interesting, particularly the industry that you are in. You, you are the self-proclaimed manufacturing maven. And that means that you are a veritable expert uh, on um, supply chain, all things manufacturing, and, and that would include probably SCMs and ERPs and all of that wonderful world. You know, the um, for some context, I um, I founded and and successfully exited an e-sourcing e-procurement software organization. So I'm very familiar with uh, with this space. And, um, you know, you, you aptly described it um, in terms of, for me, it's not the sexiest business in the world in terms of software, but it solves real world problems, you know. And for you to emerge yourself, not only in, ter in terms of um, kind of building up a very habitual way, right, to kind of uh, teach and learn, or sorry, to teach yourself to learn um, you know, how to be really good at LinkedIn and all that kind of stuff. Um, actually, by the way, have you ever read that book, Atomic Habits? Do you, are you familiar with that book? Um, so I am not the best reader. I don't love reading books. Okay. So I have a massive book collection of untouched yeah. books. I yeah. have heard of it, but I have not read it. Okay. One of the, one of the concepts in there is, is, is how you identify with yourself is, is hugely important in terms of creating habits that are effective to get the outcomes, you know, and instead of describing yourself as, you know, I, 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 I want to be, you know, um, a, a master at LinkedIn. It's like, I want to, I want to be, I want to be known for, or my goal is right. Not to be master LinkedIn. Your goal is to post content for 90 consecutive days. I think innately you just described <laughs> what equals success. And, and, and it's that habitual nature of identifying with yourself as somebody who posts content every single day. Um, um, the byproduct of that is the outcome or the goal of, you know, I become very, very good at creating demand very very good it's a very kind of disciplined and structured approach so that just that just um that just struck me as you were speaking there but there's and, and i promise there's a question coming um so <laughs> the the you're talking about you know an and and an archaic you know old school industry um that you decided to get involved with and one that there were very few women leaders seen around the place um, in that particular industry. So there, there's a lot of barriers, I suppose, to kind of people getting in there. And, and indeed, um, you know, the, the supply chain um, uh, trends for many, many years, they were just, they were just the same, right? They, they, they kind of 
they just never change, you know, around risk mitigation. How do we kind of mitigate our, our supply risk, you know, and how do we kind of, you know, whatever dark spending or whatever the term is, you know, kind of in terms of spend analysis, right? People that um, spend outside of contracts and, you know, all of these challenges. So um, tell us about the, tell us about the, the, the content and demand generation piece, because lead generation is a different thing altogether, right? But it's demand generation is the strategy, right? To evangelize and educate and kind of get all of that content. So like what, what works and kind of how did you, what, what, how did you find out what worked? How, how do you get your message across? How does it resonate and what kind of successes and failures have you seen? And particularly as a woman leader. Yeah. So something I'll add based on the comment that you just said is, so supply chain historically has been what I call a total snooze fest. Snooze fest. Yeah. Okay. A, a, a bunch of old guys sitting around who have been at the same company for 30 or 40 years and they like their paper and they have their favorite suppliers. And there, there's just a, a stereotype that was associated with supply chain and procurement, especially when I started in my career. Yeah. And I think- And sorry, it's mostly about avoiding. It, 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 it's mostly about avoiding, right? And kind of spending too much rather than looking at it from a from a, a perspective of, is this good for the business in general, holistically, right? It, it, it just, it, it seemed to be a very kind of um, um, tactical role um, that, that people had. Yeah, so a lot of what, what you we call the buyer role is was historically somebody who all they cared about was cutting cost. Yes. So I buy something for 10 cents today, I wanna get that for eight cents tomorrow. And that was very unfortunate because it made procurement and supply chain an industry and profession that people didn't want to go into. Hmm. Most of my, so I'm in my 30s. Most of my friends and colleagues who have been in the industry for a long time have completely fell into it. I, it's almost never that I meet somebody that actually decided to major and go into supply chain until recently. And I think the number one reason is it, the industry has, has had a, and it's getting better, major branding issue. And people in the industry were personality types that were much more introverted, hid behind computers and Excel spreadsheets. There wasn't any voice or personality or people out there creating fun, interesting content, videos that people wanted to watch. So it was a, attracted a certain type of person. COVID yeah, you described it perfectly. There's, there's, sorry for cutting across it. There's, a, there's a sketch in, in a comedy show in the UK uh, over here, and the answer all the time is, you know, there's someone uh, typing away, and it's computer says no, and anything that happens, you know, they, they're saying, well, you know, they're, they're trying to be, they're trying to get a bit of empathy and, you know, they're, they're trying to look at the situation holistically or do it. And they're saying, well, no, but you, like, you really need to understand this is whatever. And then the person is like, hold on for a second and tap, 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 tap. Uh, computer says no. And yeah, that's the type of person I think you're describing. <laughs> Absolutely. It's the, it's the mean person sitting in the corner in the back of the office that delays everything and says no to everything. COVID hit and completely changed everything. COVID is one of the best things that ever happened to supply chain. 
So what first happened is all of these buyers could no longer secure supply. Yeah. So if you're a buyer in direct materials or direct spend, which is now the industry that I'm in, and you can't get your parts or materials, you have nothing to manufacture, therefore you have nothing to sell, you have no revenue and your business will shut down. Securing supply is the number one most important thing. And the buyers during COVID could not get supply. So what did this do? It threw cost out the window and it made companies completely pivot and reevaluate their supply chain strategy. And the number one focus now, if you are a smart person in supply chain, if you're more of a progressive buyer, is you prioritize supplier relationships. Cost is not even in your top three. It is how do I find and secure and maintain relationships with my suppliers. So that pivot and shift has rebranded the industry it's now given significant budget to people in supply chain. Supply chain leaders are now reporting into CEOs or CFOs, have a seat at the executive table. It's, it's top of mind at the C-suite now for supply chain. How do I establish a supply base? How do I ensure that I'm able to get supply? And what that's done is it's required companies to hire different type of talent. So the, the people that are coming into supply chain now are hip, are young, are progressive, who wanna use technology, who wanna implement technology. So it's just completely given our industry a facelift and I love it. I mean- and It the, sounds the, like from what you're saying, it's very much driven by a sorry. Uh, it's very much driven by a different demographic coming into the market, which means that it's not a reactive industry trying to play defense or defense the whole time. It's a proactive, offensive move that's contributing to the bottom line and seeing as a net revenue driver throughout an organization. Did I capture that relatively correctly? Yeah, I would say there's there's been a, a facelift and a major pivot to progressive, proactive, strategic, business oriented people. Nice. And so how do you in terms of then your role within all of that, um, the and I, I suppose it's just back to kind of um, what I was trying to get to around the demand gen and, how, and talk to us a little bit um about that and kind of how that has changed in your view or kind of what's the current state with respect to successes that you're seeing there or um, just a little bit about that if you, if you don't mind. Yeah, so if you talk to most salespeople, they will roll their eyes, they'll wanna throw up if you tell them that they have to sell into procurement. Yeah. The stigma is out of control really just an, uh, it has a reputation of being the worst function to sell into. And so one of the things that I've done, and now I joined Source Day as the CMO about 11 months ago, I joined the end of last year, and we've completely shifted our entire marketing strategy. We've built out a demand generation engine. We're doing some really innovative and unique and exciting things in the supply chain space. And it's because of the fact that my team and I believe in this whole education mindset. 
producing fun, interesting, useful, engaging content to buyers in the direct materials, direct procurement space, and con being consistent about it. The other thing is making sure that we are constantly on the pulse of the customer. It is shocking to me how many marketers I speak to that have never spoken to a customer. Right. Wow. How do you know what your market is? How do you know what insights and information you be, should be producing if you are not constantly talking to your customer? Now, when you're a startup, you, you, you don't have thousands and thousands of customers, right? So you have fewer customers to talk to, engage with. So get out and get involved in anything you can in your industry and start networking and talking to people. I try to talk to people in our industry every single day. Yeah. It may be a 10-minute call. It may be a 15-minute call, but I'm deriving insights from our buyer, which then drives our content and messaging strategy. Here's so a useful tip actually for our listeners as well. And I, I don't know if I'm going to ask you, do you do this? But when I first started, I and, and, and actually this was a three-pronged approach. Number one was the reason I did this um, was I wanted um, to get our first seat, our first customers. Number two is I wanted to get kind of some uh, product dev uh, feedback loops going. And then number three is I wanted to build credibility um, from real people. But I set up, a, um, I set up an advisory um, council of uh, 12 uh, CPOs from um, all kinds of different diverse organizations. Uh, some of them are the, the biggest organizations in, in the world, telecommunications companies that you would be very familiar with. Um, we had the CPO from Symantec, um, who are a cybersecurity organization. And, you know, uh, well-known, well-known names, and I, 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 like I said, there was a, the reason I did that was a three-pronged um, kind of approach, but mostly because, as you quite rightly pointed out, it's hugely important to kind of understand uh, what is, you know, what what is the sequence, right, in terms of like what you should be delivering in terms of most important to least important, and and also kind of those those kind of insights into what are they experiencing in the real world on the, on the front line because you can't just go away and and kind of you know develop and, and think about stuff on your own that's not the way to do it like to go down into the bat cave and kind of see what you can do right it is about it is about that engagement piece and and, and capturing the voice of the customer so I think the most important hire a marketer can make in 2022 is a subject matter expert Right, go like, like an evangelist or something like that. or, or yep. uh, Go yeah. find okay. a, a thought leader, someone who, who knows their stuff in your industry, hire them, have them involved in all your content and strategy, have them reviewing everything. Luckily at Source Day, we have um, several subject matter experts already on staff. We, we sell into companies on different ERPs. So we have experts in those different ERP spaces. My team is constantly reaching out to our ERP experts, scheduling time with them, having them review things, having them you know, help us with content ideas. Um, we launched a customer insights program at the end of last year where we spend time interviewing customers for 30 or 45 minutes. We record the conversations, recap the notes. We're launching a uh, customer and supplier advisory group this year. So we can do very similar to what you just described. Yeah. Um, but find people 
in your industry that fall within your ideal customer profile and reach out to them. I mean, I am constantly doing that nights, weekends, I'll ping people, hey, can I pick your brain for 15 minutes? Because you want to be on the pulse of what your buyers care about, not what you care about, not what you think your buyers care about. What do your buyers actually care about? Talk to me about the um, glass ceiling you've kind of experienced, you know, as a woman, we've um, noted some interesting statistics around women have finally tipped the scale here in terms of representation in the C-suite by way of the CMO role specifically. It's just kicked in at 51%, which is awesome. And you you talked a little bit earlier about um, a a demographic, I guess, that was um, reluctant for change, crusty old guys looking looking to stick to their ways. Talk to us about that shift, any glass ceilings you've come across and how the future is more exciting and specifically around advice that you give for women in that space, you know, encountering barriers that are perceived or real and how they kind of deal with them and get over them. I know some of your strategies, some of your productivity is, is quite inspiring. I'd love you to share with our audience if you would. Yeah. So I've never reported to a female. Every single one of my bosses has been a man. And I am probably in one of the most male dominated industries in the country. I'm in supply chain. I'm in procurement. When I started my career and would go to conferences, I was one of the only females that would be at events and that would be at conferences. And I I honestly never gave it much thought. I was raised in a very, very strong household. I am the oldest of four girls. My parents enabled us and encouraged us to do everything. So it's never something that I've sat around and thought about, wow, I'm a woman, so are people treating me different? I just went out and was the absolute best person I could be and wanted to grow my career as quickly as possible and did everything I could in my power to do that. A couple of things that I think are really important for anybody, whether you are a male or female, but in particular, if you are a female, is do your own learning and education. So you cannot rely on your boss or your company to educate you and teach you everything you need to know. And mentors are overrated too, right? Absolutely. Wow. Absolutely. Powerful words. So I spend time every single week teaching myself things, whether it's reading certain newsletters, whether it's watching videos on YouTube. I go out and I want to learn things that are going to help me be a better marketer. That's not something that's driven by my company. It's something that I choose to do on my, on, on my own. And it's something I look for in every single that I person that I hire on my marketing team. Everybody on my team is very, very entrepreneurial as well. Shana on my team has her own company on the side. And I love that because she busts her butt and knows how to run a business. And I think it makes her a better marketer. Steven on my team, who's a content writer, is an incredible singer and musician and has a band called Western Express that actually just published an album and is crushing it and starting to perform more nationally. So I actually want to hire people that have the desire and interest to do their own side hustles and learn as much as possible. So that's the first piece of advice. The second piece of advice is 
your company, the, the most important thing you can do is work for a good boss. More than the company, more than the industry, go find the absolute best boss you can and go work for them. If that means taking a pay cut, if that means taking a step down, go do it. Your boss will make or break your career and it will make or break your learning. And what do you mean by the best boss? You, you mean somebody that aligns for you personally, is it? Or kind of what, what, what somebody would be who you're, Someone who you're going to learn a ton from and is okay. an awesome leader. I look back in my career and one of the biggest mistakes that I made is I stayed in a job for money. And I was not working for the best boss and I knew it, but I was making such good money in my twenties that I let the money drive and I should have left and gone and worked for somebody else. I think I would have been further along in my career and I would have learned a lot more. Very interesting. That's very, very interesting advice because I know I did that in my 20s as well. I moved for money and it was a bad decision and it wasn't the greatest leadership. And it took me three months pretty quick to figure out I was in the wrong place and I'd made a decision to, albeit double my salary, but for all the wrong reasons without the support network or the leadership in question. One of the things that you said there that I loved is you're constantly learning. ABL, always be learning, right? So each week you set aside time. And this is kind of my favorite question as we round the corner and wrap up here is how do you stay organized, right? So a lot of people will use a gizmo, a gadget. They use, we had pen and paper twice last couple of weeks. You know, it's a calendar is a simple one. It's an, an Apple watch, et cetera you spend 100 to 500 bucks on what is it that is essential in your world to manage what is quite clearly a very busy and hectic lifestyle to achieve all that you do so maybe what is your greatest takeaway you'd like our listeners to walk walk with today from your own organizational perspective pick one day a week and make it a no meeting day lock it off in your calendar and don't accept any meetings Friday is my no meeting day. I block it off in my calendar. It is my time to be creative, to be strategic, to get caught up. Amazing. I love that because, and again, back to your point in your early career, you sacrificed a lot and you did some stuff that maybe you shouldn't do. I think people are kind of beginning to realize that they can structure their life in, in more leaning towards lifestyle and kind of what aligns for them more than anything else. And that they just you know, are not going to be available anymore. They're not going to be available for those things that they used to be available for um, that didn't align for them, but they made themselves available for them. And you don't have to, you know? And I'm glad that you mentioned that because I feel the best leaders and a lot of our show is about leadership. The, uh, some of the best leaders um, in, in, in the world, and we had a, um, one guy, David Farquhar was on and he said, he would describe his leadership style as leading by walking around. <laughs> and you got to create those spaces for yourself. I deliberately leave gaps in my calendar. You know, the way some people feel that they're being uber productive if there isn't like, you know, five minutes space in their entire week's calendar. I, I leave blocks in there because I make time for people or initiatives or, or stuff that you know is you know fairly timely and 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 you know you, you can't legislate for when someone needs you right or whatever and then you're going to go hey yeah sure i i always have a you know 20 minutes here 15 minutes there every day for this kind of thing you know i mean you don't say that to, to them but 
that's kind of what you do. You say, yeah, sure, I can. Let's catch up at, you know, two o'clock, you know, whatever. So, yeah, couldn't agree with you more. I think that's sage advice and really enjoyed speaking with you. I, I, I know we try and make our shows shorter, but um, this is one of the ones I wish was longer, to be honest with you, um, Sarah. So we might do uh, we might do some more because we really have only scratched the surface in terms of, of I think, of, of the, the stuff that we could discuss. And in particular, some some of those wonderful insights that you've just given us um, um, in your time today. But I know that you got a you got an awful lot more over there in your locker. I'm sure you know. So um, thank you so much for joining us. I wish you and everyone else at Source Day nothing but success, and uh, we we look forward to um, to speaking with you in the near future. I think um, from my own perspective, and for the benefit of our our listenership. Um, just as uh, a point that Sarah had made there today, a uh, day of recording is a Friday. So I think we feel very privileged to be included in your no meeting day and that you've made the space and the bandwidth to, to have this discussion. And I think it would echo John's sentiment in relation to a guaranteed dead set slot for a second show appearance and really a privilege to share the mic with you today and look forward to speaking with you again in the future for sure. Awesome. Thanks. And feel free to reach out and connect with me on LinkedIn. You got it. You've been listening to the Global Tech Leaders Podcast, designed for both established and aspiring career-focused tech rock stars, as well as helping leadership figure out how to speak global in today's multicultural world. For further details, check out sf-talent.com.